Welcome back to Trending in Education. Brandon Jones, Mike Palmer, and myself, Dan Strafford. And on today's episode, we take a look at some predictions for the 2019 year in education, higher education, and learning from outside sources. Next week, you'll hear from us on our predictions. But this week, uh, we take a look at a couple of Forbes articles and more around their predictions. Brandon, I know I teased it out last week. There are some lists again. I will not let you down. Don't tease me, bro. Uh, yeah, I, there are lists, and I think we might even talk through them today. Yeah, I, that's a good. That's a good likelihood of that. Uh, that's a high. I predict Ooh. lists for this episode. So, is it a safe assumption you're doing well now, Brandon? That we have lists on tap for the podcast? Well, wait until we get the lists, right. and then I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'm 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 doing and I am anticipating uh, doing well. Is how I'm doing. And Mike, you're doing well. Uh, what's new in your world? Uh, I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty well myself. Like I the the media stuff has been really uh, heating up on a number of fronts uh, of, in the last uh, last few weeks. Uh, you know our our show I thought was pretty interesting about that, and uh, and now to shift gears a little bit and look at uh, the education trends writ large. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be uh, neat. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited excited to dig in. So as I said, we have two different Forbes articles and there are other articles out there as well that we'll share. Uh, Talia Milgram Elcott uh, is a contributor to Forbes, has uh, these five trends will dominate STEM and education in 2019. Uh, we are uh, also looking back at our episode talking about teacher trends uh, in 2019, which uh, was an interesting discussion. Brandon, one of her first list items here. Uh, I don't, well, let me ask you this, Brandon. Do you want to read through the list first and go back? Or do you want to take them section by section? I leave it to you, sir. I, I, let's just read through the list. Let's right, do, do that. Please. All right. So are we, we're going first with uh, Talia Milgram Elcott article? Yes, please. Okay. As Dan said, these are these five trends that will dominate STEM plus education. I don't think it's STEM plus. I think it's STEM and yes. education in 2019. So mm -hmm. these are five, as uh, the title indicates. Number one, perceptions of teaching will improve. Okay. Excited to talk about that one. Sure. Number two, which was one that we have talked about, teacher shortages will continue to strain the system, but solutions are possible. Ooh. That's ominous, but hopeful. Yes. Uh, number three, more schools will become places where students and italicized and teachers thrive. Yes. So it's not an either or, it's both and. We like that. Mm -hmm. Number four, STEM is engineering the, work, the future workforce, whether you like it or not. Ooh, that's a little uh, robot overlord. -y. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you should watch the Super Bowl commercials. And uh, number five, STEM will lead schools to a whole child approach, which I know is another thing we've talked about and I think something we're, we're all excited about. Sure. So those are the five trends. I think we can take any of those. Uh, Mike, Dan, any, uh, any preferences? Uh, for me, the interesting thing was the focus on STEM, which, uh, which he took as, uh, I, I guess, a fundamental truth. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's an interesting area for us to explore. We've talked in the past to, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math uh, is STEM. Uh, the acronym can, uh, can also be extended. You throw the A in there to, to capture the arts uh, and you get STEAM. You throw the R in there and you have STREAM. Uh, that, that R stands for reading. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, this is very STEM oriented, uh, but I thought it was interesting that uh, that even made the, the top head. So it was almost like this entire article was, uh, was implicitly saying STEM is going to be critical to education. Um, I think that's an interesting um, hypothesis. Uh, I'm not sure how much, I, how much I'd buy in. Yeah, I think we'll get in the, because uh, there's a second article we'll talk about just four uh, predictions for higher ed in 2019 that are not STEM specific. Yep. Um, 
I, I think you're right that that is, I mean, that's obviously a, a given. I think that that's, I'm not sure she's saying that um, there aren't interesting trends outside of STEM. I think she's focusing on those that are STEM related. And I do think, I think it, we, we have been talking about it since the inception of this, uh, this podcast. Um, and so the, the, the greater we collectively have been talking about STEM for, for longer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I think I would buy that the trends of STEM becoming more prevalent and being something that's even more talked about mm-hmm. um, will continue. And we talked about when we were looking at our, our, uh, our holiday gifts uh, episode, there's now a STEM category on Amazon. Right. Right. So I, I think things like that, um, my guess is that that will continue and it will be even more sort of um, uh, just part of the vernacular is sure. talking about, uh, talking about STEM. Mm-hmm. I, I like from, if I can get into to one of the, the ones I, I, uh, I liked that there was research by the Colorado school of mines, <laughs> which, um, I always thought was the Colorado school of mimes. Like how, how do they, how do they talk about anything there? Um, has uh, found that STEM teachers have a greater job satisfaction than other STEM professionals, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And, and I don't know if it's that, um, STEM teachers have greater job satisfaction than other teachers. That's not the, that's not the, the citation here. But, um, you know, as careers, you know, careers in anything uh, are demanding, right? So I think it's interesting to think about how people value job satisfaction versus compensation because mm-hmm. uh, you can presumably find higher compensating jobs in STEM outside of the teaching ranks. Right. Uh, but I thought that was, that was an interesting thing. And you know, I'm not sure if that, that, that falls under the perceptions of teaching will improve. I'm not sure if that's uh, perceptions of teaching by teachers will continue to improve, um, if that translates necessarily to external perceptions. But I thought that was an interesting note. Yeah, and I mean, it may be uh, more, uh, more advantageous to be a STEM teacher these days, too, is another thing that's kind of implicit in, in that uh, particular article. And it, which is interesting when you think back to when we were talking about teacher trends, how increasingly teachers are uh, leaving the profession uh, at unprecedented rates. So I wonder if, you know, connecting the dots and obviously they're different uh, studies, but, but is it that we're losing non-STEM teachers or we're not really engaging uh, non-STEM teachers, um, which, uh, which I think may in fact be a reality. And that kind of ties back to my previous point where, uh, focusing so uh, narrowly on the area that we know we need to grow, uh, we may be allowing other parts of the teaching profession to languish and not really get the support that they need. Absolutely. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say, even though I'm kind of knocking uh, Talia for, uh, for, for focusing so much on STEM, um, I thought these were, uh, if not uh, particularly bold predictions, I thought they were, they were directionally, they, they seemed in line with a lot of what, what we've talked about. Um, Dan, I know you and I in particular, we did talk to Brewer and uh, Glenn yep. Whitman at uh, Chan Zuckerberg at the end of uh, 2018. Um, any thoughts about that? I mean, where they're talking about the, um, the whole oh. child uh, movement, which is just, it's just good language to begin with, but, uh, but any general thoughts about that? Well, I think there's the interesting point about the whole child at the bottom, but also uh, the uh, students and teachers will thrive. I yeah. think ties in there as well that we're not, 
just thinking about the, the whole student, we're thinking about the whole teacher and professional development and getting them, uh, making sure they're, they're continuing to learn themselves and they're, they're continuing to challenge themselves and grow as teachers and maybe move into new roles that you don't have to be a teacher of lit literature for 35 years. You can change what you do even within the teaching realms, I think is really intriguing. Uh, but that's where my mind went as well, Mike, when reading uh, those two specifically. The whole child movement, uh, one, from a PR perspective, makes a ton of sense. As you said, it's a great turn of phrase, but also um, schools are becoming more and more a place that everything is happening. It's not just subject matter. It's the social emotional. It's, it's the understanding of places in the world and, and coming to diversity and all those different things. So I, I think that will continue to be a, a big one. I'm intrigued by what you're saying, Mike, also about this feels like it's more geared at high school trends, whereas not, maybe not as forward thinking to what elementary and, and K6 or K5 students might be looking at. To, to your point about, I feel like the pendulum swing back towards the arts, back towards the whole students may take a little of that oomph away from STEM being the focal point um, and come back to the whole student again, the whole child and, and the whole education. Mm -hmm. But it's a, a, I think a really good list. Any, any further thoughts, Brendan or Mike, around these five before we do tie in uh, the other article on higher education trends to watch for in 2019? For me, the, the idea like the what's implicit about the future of work in this article is interesting too, because like that does, it seems, it seems like she's taking a somewhat uh, uh, obvious path uh, towards the future of work where like, you know, if you're not designing the machines of the future and if you're not doing the engineering in the future, you're going to be out of work. Um, and I, a lot of the research I've seen around uh, the future uh, of different types of jobs is saying that there's an element of that that's true, that there's a, there's a whole class of uh, professions that are going to really be STEM enabled. Um, it is interesting to, to think, though, of the, the, the creative uh, needs and the social emotional needs that are going to be critical to uh, the future. I would have liked to have seen her throw at least one nod to uh, social emotional learning, although she did talk about I guess the whole child approach is kind of in that vein. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's still STEM will lead to a whole child uh, approach. So there, there's very much an emphasis on the, the power of technology, which, which I totally get. I just don't know if that's necessarily gonna suddenly emerge in the coming year. I think it's, a, it's probably like a longer trend. Anyway, I, I, to, okay, I do just a, in, in one line, one note of defense for Talia here. Yeah. I think that her assignment may have been what are trends in STEM. Sure. Right. So maybe it's that this is, it, there is a companion piece that mm -hmm. is, uh, that is absent here. But I, I do think that um, I, I'm not sure that she is saying trends outside of STEM are less interesting, important, relevant, or that she's saying the top five trends in K-12 education are all STEM related. Right. Um, so I, I think, uh, to me, I, I didn't. I didn't read that same implication. Sure, I, you're totally right to point out, and I do think that when you look at um, school funding, like a lot of things that get cut are arts programs, mm -hmm. music, if you include in that, athletics, mm -hmm. you know, other things that are, you know, not. Um, I'm making air quotes here, but core curriculum where STEM, most of STEM, is found. So that that is a real risk. I don't want to take away from that point. I think that's that's one that um, it's important to think about you know, how ch children are being educated and what the focus is today, um, I, I, I didn't read the, the same implication in, sure. uh, in, her, in her article. Uh, great points, uh, both there. And I think that, uh, Mike, to your point, uh, is there a way we can jam SEL into stream <laughs> and make it a longer acronym perhaps as, as we move forward? Interesting. Uh, 
I, I don't think it can work, but we'll try to figure it out here uh, over future episodes. Brandon, there's another list. There's sure a, is. A, a set of four, another Forbes article for higher education. So uh, really uh, splitting the uh, focus here sh- down to uh, higher education alone. Uh, would you do the honors again, sir? I sure will. Dan, you asked me how I was doing. I, I was, I was anxious about committing to doing so well, but now that I get to read two lists, that's nine things over two lists. Uh, I'm doing super duper. Uh, this one is um, also from Forbes, as you mentioned, four predictions for higher education in 2019. Uh, number one, Congress will advance higher education legislation. So congressional efforts around uh, Higher Education Act. Um, the, the subhead is that, it's that, that those efforts are gaining steam. Uh, two, states will invest more in college affordability, uh, which I think if that is true, I think we all would think that's, that's a good thing. Um, three, student debt for graduates will grow slowly, though millions will continue to struggle. Um, that's, uh, there was cited here, a lot of growth uh, in student debt for a six-year period, um, uh, excuse me, for a four-year period earlier, uh, end of last decade into the beginning of this one, and then slower growth. The prediction is that slower growth will continue. And for the bloom will come off income share agreements. So it also talks about how, how this is in the, the, the hype cycle. So mm-hmm. that, I think this is saying uh, like that roller coaster, it's, it's getting over the, uh, the, the peak of uh, inflated expectations, heading down into the trough of disillusionment. So um, those are those are the four. So Mike, one of the interesting things I read, I think a couple of weeks back about the uh, income deferral uh, plans or the idea of getting a job and then paying your uh, college back, right? So you're sort of saying, I'm not going to pay up front. When I get a job, you're going to take X percent from my income and pay. It's still a form of debt. You know, it's still a form of debt in some, some way, shape or form. So it's intriguing here to see this author call it out specifically in that way and say that we may start to see, again, a pullback from that. Uh, do you see it as a viable way or just sort of another way for student debt to be, uh, you know, continued on in, in just a different name? Yeah, I, I guess I'm of two minds. On the one hand, it's, it does sound a lot like indentured servitude. So like the idea that, you know, you get a job, but your, your wages are being garnished uh, until you, uh, you pay off uh, the debt uh, for your, your undergrad does seem problematic to me. I think the flip side, though, is more creative partnership between the private sector and higher ed to actually fund um, undergraduate education. I think is smart. Uh, so I think the idea that these ideas are uh, are getting press, uh, the fact that it was covered in the New York Times, and then that this uh, this writer, who are we talking about? We're talking about James uh, Caval, um, was was actually uh, taking issue with uh, something that I think got a little bit of a more positive treatment in the in the New York Times education section. Um, I think is is good. It's that like we actually need to be having conversations about these different types of models. Um, the underlying problem, I think, to your point, Dan, is that uh, you know tuition is just too damn high. Uh, to uh, to to paraphrase the the rent is too damn high guy. But uh, but until we un- until we address that underlying uh, economic challenge of uh, you know forty fifty thousand uh, dollar tuition burdens per semester uh, you know maybe a little bit less depending on how how resourceful you can get around your funding and whether you go to a more affordable state school um, that combined with the fact that the job market for a recent grad is getting kind of crowded um, 
it's going to require a lot more creativity, both to address the the fundamental problems around the economics of uh, of a higher higher ed degree, uh, and then hopefully more creativity from the private sector. I think I'm that's where I'm most hopeful about this. While why I think this might not be as teacher as as student friendly as uh, as maybe it could be, I think the idea that folks are experimenting with these models. Um, I think is really interesting. It reminds me different context, but even uh, some of the work that uh, we talked to Darren Gonzalez about uh, when we brought him on to talk about District C, that was more looking at um, uh, high school students getting uh, getting exposed to real life, uh, you know, problems that that organizations are encountering. Those types of ideas, uh, I think, are how we start to solve some of these problems. And I'm glad at least uh, this is getting some 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 broader attention. I don't know if it's one of, I, I don't know that it's your prediction for, for 2019. We'll find out on the next episode what your, your predictions are. But an intriguing thought there on corporations, businesses, uh, you see them all the time helping sponsor grad school, right? When somebody's already working there, they will help pay for grad school for the test, GMAT, GRE, whatever it may be. Intriguing to think if the private sector could absorb that debt for a student they hire. So the agreement is rather than the student paying them back, once they get gamefully employed, can it be the institution that's hiring them that can help defray some of those costs? And I don't know if that's where you were going with that thought process, but it is an intriguing connection between universities and the private sector to, to defray the cost for the individual. Yeah, I, I just think more ideas right. are, are better. And, uh, and, then, and then admitting that we have a problem is the beginning uh, of getting on the path to a solution here. So I, I think we do clearly have, have a problem. And then... Um, trying to, you know, how do we incentivize uh, organizations to, to sort of lean in right. to, to, to try to help solve the problem, I, th I think is, is the next question. But then that becomes more of a policy question, which uh, I'm not particularly hopeful around um, educational policy, making it uh, into uh, our, our sort of legislative agenda, considering the way, the way that you're shaping up. Now, Brandon, those are two of the points here on the list, one being that there would be congressional on the national level, congressional action uh, on education. And then the second one about affordability and Gavin Newsom in California saying that he was going to address uh, the uh, UC system, which is obviously the largest one in the country. Um, are you hopeful uh, that this can help uh, curb some of the problems we've seen or, or do you see a negative side to these potential legislative uh, endeavors? Yeah, well, stay tuned for my 2019 prediction. Teasing that out. Nice. It's next week. That's it's, excellent. It'll be coming at your ears, at your learn holes next week. Um, so I'm going to hold off on, uh, on weighing in on the, legisl the legislative piece. Um, you know, the other three, and I'm going to say just a different version of what Mike just said, but the other three are all related to the return that a family or a student is expected to get on her investment in, in higher education. And, you know, that's around affordability, around uh, debt, and around some of the sort of new form of um, how to finance that debt, essentially. Uh, and I think it's, it is a real issue. And I think, you know, Mike's point, the, the first step is uh, agreeing that we've got a problem. Um, I think this is going to be a trend, and and I don't I don't I don't believe this is starting to trend. I mean, these are things that, uh, you know, as it said, it's it's in the hype cycle. Um, that's uh, it's well up on the hype cycle, I think. But we've got a a real problem in higher education with regards to what kind of value you're expected you can expect to get 
um, out of your investment. Um, and there is a bubble. We've talked about that bubble has not burst. I don't think that there's a prediction that it's going to in 2019. Uh, but I, I think this is, I think this is good. I don't know that it portends like immediate solutions, but um, you know, the, in the employer uh, perspective applicants and higher education sort of triangle. I think there are solutions on, on all sides there. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, sort of the, the mashups that continue in terms of internships or externships or debt forgiveness. Like I think all of that is a pretty interesting space and I expect we'll see some, some movement uh, in, in 2019. It's an interesting conversation around higher education and Mike, uh, one that uh, has gotten spoken about a little less uh, at times is the grad school uh, price as well, uh, that it's not just necessarily undergrad, it's the the grad school cost, not real discussion here, but uh, it does seem, uh, wondering if you agree that it's just cost, as Brandon was saying, it comes down to the dollar, the investment, and what we're getting back from it. Um, as you look forward to a future of college education, um, is that first and foremost in your mind, the uh, investment, the return on investment, or are you looking for the best fit for your son way off in the distance? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, Matthew's now uh, seven weeks old. So, uh, you know, we, ha- we have a little time to get our act together. I, I honestly don't know where higher education will be in, uh, say, like 17, 18 years from now. Like, the one thing that I think is interesting is the opt-out movement. Um, just opting out of higher ed entirely uh, is an interesting trend um, to see. Like, can you still be, are there paths to employability that don't involve higher education? Uh, generally speaking, it's a lot harder. Um, and, uh, and then similarly, uh, you know, Nancy Sanchez, I think we'll have back on the show again uh, soon, but like other pathways through higher ed that actually gets you the support that you need uh, is the other, the other angle that I think is interesting. So like, are there people who are having trouble uh, matriculating through higher ed who actually could get there faster and maybe more affordably if we provided better tools and services for them on the one hand. And then on the other hand, like, are there new uh, pathways that are going to be as advantageous, perhaps more advantageous in, in terms of, 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 you know, really defraying these, 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 uh, huge spends um, by by understanding alternatives, uh, particularly around informal education. Uh, you know the boot camp movement. Uh, you know if we're looking ahead 17 years from now, um, there'll be plenty of turns against uh, that 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 crank between now and say like you know the 2030s. Um, I would hope that if there are pathways that that are more appealing, uh, you wouldn't necessarily need to go the traditional route, um, particularly as uh, I would expect the disruption of higher ed to really um, be felt in earnest uh, probably in the next 10 to 15 years. Brendan, uh, as we close out this episode, wondering, there, there was another Forbes article on continuing education or more revolutionizing the workplace education that spoke about uh, omni-channel education, hybrid skills, some of the things we've discussed here uh, on uh, multiple episodes about how lifelong learning will continue moving forward. Do you think any of the trends we just spoke about between the, the first article and the second article inform workplace education, inform lifelong learning uh, in the long run, or do you think they are specific to those two genres? Uh, well, let's see. Um, I mean, I think everything's related to everything. So uh, in, in life, um, so that, that covers that. Uh, I mean, I, I do think that as we focus on uh, outcomes from learning. And so I think that, you know, STEM is a good place, for example, to start where 
the outcomes, I think it's more easily quantifiable than in, in you know, a, a creative, more, more creative or liberal art kind of field. Um, that will probably trend into expectations for lifelong learning revolving around outcomes. I think that um, certainly, you know, I, I just mentioned talking about sort of the, the triangle between employer, you know, college graduate and institute of higher education. Uh, that's going to inform lifelong learning. And I, I just think, you know, we've talked about this a bunch of times, but people in an increasingly, people who live increasingly long lives with the promise of social security increasingly far out in their futures are going to be having, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, um, maybe real careers in their lives. And so I think employers are going to be on the hook. Uh, my hope is that employers don't try to do all of that themselves, that they actually partner with uh, institutions, um, uh, you know, including commercial outfits like, like potentially even Kaplan, who are good at providing training and frameworks and, um, you know, the, actually delivering that kind of learning. Uh, but I think employers are on the hook somehow, either insourcing, outsourcing to get that lifelong learning happening. So I do think that they're related. And the more that we focus on, you know, especially earlier educational outcomes, the more that's going to people who are today, maybe even a little older than Matthew, <laughs> since Matthew's about as new as they come. He is. Um, you know, like, you know, Dan, your kids, when they're, they're going to have expectations, presumably when they become employees. Uh, of continued learning. And uh, I think that, uh, I think this will be good for the workforce to be able to workplace, to be able to deliver on those expectations of the future workforce. I think it's going to make, you know, make everything uh, all better. Education and learning trends in 2019. We will have our predictions on our next episode. This will also be a conversation we come back to throughout the year. Check in on it as new news comes forward. Uh, obviously, teacher strikes, uh, Red for Ed, that is a movement that is going on across the country, will continue to be part of our discussion here as well. Uh, so if you have anything to share, if you're a teacher out there in the world who's uh, part of an ongoing movement or something you want to share, feel free to find us on Twitter at Trending and Ed, same on Facebook and then trendingandeducation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your story as well. With that said, next week, it's the prediction show. You don't want to miss that one. Until then, thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education.